Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by very special guest Joe Pine. Joe is the co-author of The Experience Economy and is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and management advisor to Fortune 500 companies and entrepreneurial startups alike. In 1999, Joe and his partner, James H. Gilmore, wrote the best-selling book, The Experience Economy, Work is Theater and Every Business is a Stage, which demonstrates how goods and services are no longer enough. Now, it's 20 years later, and they are re-releasing the book with a new subtitle, which is Competing for Customer Time, Attention, and Money. And that is available now on, well, on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. A pleasure to be here. So for folks who don't know, um, Joe was nice enough to come on to the Business of Authority, which is the podcast I do with Rochelle, and we went a, went on a deep dive into what the experience economy is. It was an amazing interview. We did follow-up interviews after that. We were still experiencing the aftermath of <laughs> the transformation. Uh, but one thing we didn't really talk too much about was how to price experiences, price transformations, and, and the, the, the pricing component to this new... Uh, economy, I guess you would call it. So I wanted to have Joe come on and talk about pricing experiences, pricing transformations, and perhaps ways for folks who might consider themselves or are currently behaving as if they are a service provider, how they might make that shift into kind of a higher value portion of of the economy. How's that sound? <laughs> sound like fun? <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds fine to me. I, I wonder if I, if I come on a third time, do I get to start calling you Johnny or is it just still Jonathan? <laughs> it's been a while, but you are welcome to. It's been, it's been a while since that's been my nickname. Um, yeah, so, so I think a good starting place would be a line from the experience economy, uh, which is this. Uh, you wrote, when a business is treated as a mere service, hourly workers spend almost no offstage time preparing onstage behaviors. So what do you mean by that? Well, it is, first of all, it is true that that in the experience economy, work is theater, that it's not a metaphor, work as theater. It's a model that literally work is theater whenever um, workers are in front of customers, right? the, the guests, the audience of the experience. And so everybody needs to understand that they're on stage and then act in a way that uh, that engages those guests. And acting, you know, some people are naturals at it, not just on Broadway or in TV and movies, but but in business. Some people are just natural actors. They know it. Uh, they know how to do it. Uh, it comes naturally to them. Other people need a lot of practice. They need uh, to think about it. They need to design what they do. And sorry, I threw my I threw my phone in the other room, but I could still hear it ring. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So if someone listening to this show is a software developer, they run their own business, they're used to getting hired to, uh, you know, code by the hour or build a WordPress website by the hour, or maybe they do copywriting and they charge by the word, or they are a photographer and they charge by the photo or the event. I imagine people listening, their heads kind of exploding like, but I'm not creating experiences. I'm not creating transformations, which is the sort of the tier above experience uh, economy. Can you give any kind of direction to folks who can't even get out of the service mindset? Right. Well, you know, to, to uh, you know, back to theater is to understand that, that if you, if the easiest way to sort of turn a service into an experience uh, is through theater because it doesn't require any capital equipment. It, it all requires is understanding that you're on stage uh, and then and then figure out how you're going to create that great uh, performance. 
that truly does engage. And, you know, just as a brief example, so, you know, in sort of the, the, the services game, for everybody to understand, is, is the Geek Squad. You know, the Geek Squad was founded, you know, 25 years ago by Robert Stevens. A um, friend of mine was in Minneapolis here at the time. And he dropped out of the University of Minnesota to get in the computer installation repair business. And he said, well, who better do that than geeks? You know, so he named the company the Geek Squad. He said he doesn't interview prospective employees. He auditions them, make sure they can typecast them as geeks. And then he costumes them in the white shirts, the thin black ties. The ties are clip-on, you know, just in case there's an altercation. Uh, <laughs> the things hanging off the belt, the black pants and shoes and the white socks that Robert says really make that uniform pop. Mm. And then when you get to your home or to your offices, you know, the first thing they'll do is they'll pull out their badge and they'll say, hi, I'm from the Geek Squad. Slowly step away from that computer, ma'am. And they go about giving you that computer repair experience. And Robert says his goal is to make the computer repair experience so engaging that his customers can't wait till the computers break down. Nice. Right. And, and, and he went from, you know, he got, he got bought by Best Buy. He went from like 20 agents here in the Minneapolis area to now there's over 20,000 agents around the country. Uh, because of that model of theater. I mean, they do the same service activities that anybody else does. They, um, you know, they have to install computers. They have to repair them. They have to attach hardware. They have to upgrade software and uh, so on and so forth. But how they go about doing it is what's key. And that's, that's one of the key distinctions between services and experiences and how to think about theater is that services are about the what. They're the functional activities you have to do. Whether you are coding, whether you are um, uh, photographing, uh, whether you're doing any other you know, professional service uh, uh, activity, um, that's the functional things you have to do. But how you go about doing that is what can turn any mundane interaction into an engaging encounter. Uh, so you need to think about that, you know, particularly with the interactions you have. But some of the, 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 the sort of professions that you mentioned, Jonathan, mm-hmm. don't necessarily have any, many or any interactions. Right. You could get hired off of a website uh, to do some coding or to do a, um, a um, um, website in WordPress or whatever it might be. Now, a photographer is always going to be with his customers in a way, shape or form, unless it's like, you know, go take some uh, B-roll of, a, of a, you know, a natural environment or something. But then what you need to think about is where do you have interactions, even if they're not live in front of the customer, right? If we're exchanging emails, if we're having a phone call, if we're having a design conversation. Think about how you treat that and think about how you go beyond just the functional requirements, the information you have to get or that you have to impart uh, to create that distinctive experience. And a, and a persona, a character like the Geek Squad does is one way of, of being able to do that, although, of course, there are, there are many others. Yeah, that's I'm glad you landed like that, because I want to point out to folks listening that, you know, I'm sure there are folks listening who think Geek Squad is hokey or corny or goofy or something like that. That's not the point. The point is, these are guys and gals, I suppose, who fix printers. Like, what could be more commodity than fixing a printer jam? It's easy to imagine that someone would, at you know, who wanted to be in IT repair business would be like, oh, well, there's no way for me to turn this into an experience. And here's an example, a glaring, huge, I guess glaring's negative. It's like a huge <laughs> glowing example glowing. of someone who took something that is, I mean, in the tech industry is probably close to the most mundane thing you could possibly do. Right. And turned it into something engaging. And whether you think it's corny or not, 
the people who need this service do not think it's corny. They enjoy it. Right. And, you know, and one of the key things there, Jonathan, is, is Robert always wanted to make sure it wasn't corny, wasn't make sure it wasn't a gimmick. And one of the key ways he did that was, in fact, the uniform. That wearing the uniform, if you can do that with a straight face, then you truly are a geek. Right? And that's what he wanted. He wanted real geek. Real ones. A lot of people think that acting is necessarily fake or phony, that it's inauthentic. But in fact, uh, acting can, can be, I mean, it can be fake, but it can be very authentic. It's a matter of revealing the, the parts of yourself that, that make the most sense in front of the people that are with you. You know, we all know we act differently in front of a, a boss and a colleague, in front of family than, than friends, in front of uh, parents and children and so forth. It's not that we're being fake or phony in any one of them. We're simply choosing what parts of ourselves to reveal. And that's what acting is. Acting is fundamentally choice, right? It's choosing intentionally what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it in a way that comes off as engaging. Right. And to your point, a lot of the folks that listen to this show that are listening to this show work remotely. So the touch points are relatively few in comparison, but they still exist, like you pointed out. So there's going to be uh, a whole bunch of touch points, probably in the marketing and sales cycle where people are uh, reaching out to you or you're reaching out to them and starting conversations and then getting into a sales interview type of thing putting together a proposal, presenting a proposal, exactly. all of these things are on stage as you put it. So what can you define the on stage, off stage thing a little bit, uh, maybe in these terms? On stage means that you are in front of customers, whether that's live, whether it's on a phone call, you can even think of the medium of, of email or a, a Skype or Zoom call, whatever it might be. Uh, it means that there are people that are basically watching you work, right? That's the simplest definition of acting is some, someone watches you work. That means you're on stage. Offstage, then, are activities that, that, you, that you do not do in front of customers, that they're generally not there, but that, in fact, you should not do in front of customers. If you go to a Disney theme park, right, all the employees are called cast members because they recognize they're on stage. There's a sign whenever you go from offstage area to onstage area, there's a sign right there by the door that says you are now on stage. And they treat it so seriously that the two cast members talking to each other about what they're going to do after work that day is grounds for dismissal. And, and, and you need to, to understand that sort of thing. So that, like, for example, if you're in a client, you talked about a pitch meeting, right? You're in a pitch meeting with a client, right? And your phone rings in your pocket and you say, oh, hold, hold on a second. This, this is another client I got to talk to, right? Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's off stage, right? You don't do that. In the same way that I earlier had accidentally left my ringing phone here <laughs> in the office and, and threw it away, right? It was a, it was an offstage activity, but I did that actually on purpose. I asked, asked a friend to actually call me at this particular time so it would ring so I could use that as a demonstration of what not to do on stage. Yes, well done. Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah, if, if, if only that were true. <laughs> I appreciate the dedication. Uh, <laughs> Um, wow. Okay. So I want to tell a couple of stories about this because again, I want to make sure that this ties into the particular audience. Cause I know, you know, the examples in your book and the examples, a lot of examples you're using now, these are big companies with lots of employees and you can understand the need to kind of like have a top down message. Like, you know, you're on stage and you'll be fired if you're not. But if we're talking about solo businesses and small firms right. and folks that are operating remotely, I want to, I just want to like break, cause I, I agree a hundred percent with everything you're saying. I just want to like uh, instantiate it for folks who are m probably having a hard time connecting the dots. 
Uh, so as a software developer, it's probably a pretty common thing for you to do, to do things like speak at meetups or to speak at a conference or to go on a podcast or um, uh, interact with a book publisher. There are all of these things. And pretty much, unless you're in complete private, you're always on stage. You're always projecting some facet of yourself. And I, I like your use of the word intentional. So if you're intentional about the the pieces that you reveal in a particular situation, I, I think that's an important thing to think about. You know, this is this is a story that I hope it's relevant. I, and I told it on the business of authority, so I'll just say it quickly. I was at a, at a restaurant, uh, you know, and and sitting at the end of the bar and like right where the opening was to get behind the bar, and I was having lunch. And this bartender comes running in, clearly late for her shift, just like, like you know, it was almost like a cartoon, like papers flying behind her, <laughs> you know, like sweaty, uh, clearly upset and, um, you know, in a bad mood, smelled like cigarettes. You know, she's just like late and bumming. And she comes, you know, she comes in, she changes right next to me and into her into her apron and stuff and then like you know walks behind the bar and then and then bing smile comes on hey you know are you all set or can i get you anything it's like <laughs> like do you did you not see me sitting here and i see i see people in the tech space and uh similar spaces doing a, um, a not perhaps not as um dramatic version of that but you know at a conference is a great example so you're you're at the conference it's like you're waiting to come on stage and not paying attention to the previous speaker, or you're just like, you're projecting information all the time or in a workshop. If you're doing a workshop and you show up, same thing, show up late and you're all frazzled and you're not prepared. Um, and then the, the main thing, really, I think the thing that is going to click with the vast majority of people is the sales thing because everybody has to do it. You don't not do that and have a business and it's just sort of kismet. I suppose before I even, met Joe, I wrote a book called Learn Your Lines, which is like, these are the things, you know, customers are going to ask you this. Here's a, here's a list of 30 things that a customer is almost surely going to ask you at least five questions off this list. So why wing it every time? Why, why not decide how you're going to answer all of these questions? And here are a bunch of suggestions, but you know, and these work for me for these reasons, but make your own and then learn them. So when someone comes to you and they say, Hey, well, you know, can you give me a ballpark for the project? You know what to say back. And it's not like, well, it's complicated and I don't really know. Like, you know, <laughs> projects this kind of, I don't want to go so far as to say unprofessional, but it projects this kind of like I'm winging it kind of vibe. And they're going to automatically make judgments about you based on that, about, you know, the quality of work that you would do when you're actually doing what you consider to be your real work, which is the service activity that we're kind of talking about de-emphasizing. So, wow, Jonathan, I, I mean, I didn't know you wrote that book. Yeah, that, that is fantastic. I mean, that is, that's a thing you'll hear in acting school. You'll hear, learn your lines, right? And you'll, you also, another technique you'll learn in act, acting school is act with intention. Right, exactly what we're talking about, which is the how versus the the what, and and it brings to mind a couple of things. You know, one, perhaps to, to to establish a little a little cred with your audience, I want to point out that um, that I'm a nerd from way back. I mean, I aspired to be a geek. I was truly a nerd. <laughs> uh, you know, I I started using computers in elementary school and decided to become a computer programmer in 1970s. Wow. 
and did, got an applied math degree, worked for IBM for, for 13 years, got a master's in the management of technology at MIT. I mean, I am a nerd, <laughs> but I learned how to present in front of people. I can still remember my, my college had me back like a year or two after I started IBM. And I, you know, and, and I'm going back to these other people that have a hard time looking people in the eye and, mm-hmm. and have no social life and so forth. Right. And one of the things I still remember telling them that I'd learned almost right away is, you, is that you have to learn how to present. You have to learn how to present your ideas. It doesn't matter what how good your ideas are if you you know if you can't present them. Correct. And so I've learned that. You know, I've now spoken at the World Economic Forum, at TED, at South by Southwest, at the Consumer Electronics Show, in front of you know thousands and thousands of people every year. Uh, and, and so anybody, if I can do it, right, is what I'm saying is anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit uh, about pricing specifically. That was the promise at the beginning of the show. So we're going to talk about, all right, let's say, let's say someone is making their first attempts at creating an experience. So they're, they're around their expertise. Their expertise is something like... Um, they're, they're amazing at building React Native mobile applications for iOS and Android. Something like super, super specific and technical that most people can understand listening to this show. You know, it's like that's like as clear as clearing a, a printer jam. It's a very specific activity to do. And they say, you know what? We're going to leverage this expertise and we're going to create a uh, maybe a, a couple of productized services or workshops or, you know, let, let's say it's a workshop because that's clearly an experience. You have... Uh, guests, right? And what, uh, how do you think about um, creating an experience and then charging for it? So maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, clients paying for their time, not your time and, you know, how that all breaks down. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it'd be useful to first talk about the, the basic framework in the book. Uh, which we call the progression of economic value, which yes. quickly you know, goes from commodities, the things you pull out of the ground, through goods, the physical things you make out of the raw materials of commodities, to services, the activities you perform on behalf of an individual customer, to experiences, which are memorable events that engage them in an inherently personal way. And the key thing to understand is that you are what you charge for. Right, you are what you charge for. If you charge for undifferentiated stuff, you're in the commodities business or, or you're commoditizing yourself. You know, right. if you're doing that at the, uh, you know, it's charging for stuff at the goods or services level. Uh, if you charge for tangible things, you're in the goods business. You're in the service business if you charge for the activities your people perform. And most everybody uh, in your your audience here um, is is in that service business economically by charging for their own activities. And right. I call it time and materials, but we're charging for our activities that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the experience business, you need to charge for time, not your time, customer time the time that they're spending with you. And that means charging an admission fee or a membership fee of some sort. You, know, we, you, you wouldn't imagine going to a theme park or a sporting event or a movie, a concert, a play, you know, any of these sort of experiences without paying an admission fee, right? Because you recognize them as experiences. So in the same way, you need to think of when you're there and the, what the customers are valued is the time they're spending with you, then you need to charge admission for that. So in the workshop case that you, can't, you, that you cited, Right. Absolutely. Workshops are experiences. They're, they're maybe primarily educational experiences, uh, but they're experiences where people are there to learn from you, where they value that time that they're spending. It's, they're not they're not getting out of it anything that you're specifically doing, any activities that you're doing. 
uh, you know, like when you're programming or when you're like designing a website and so forth, what they're getting out of it is what they learn, what they take in through their own, own senses. And it's why also you want to make it not just educational, but entertaining, right? To keep their attention and so forth. You want, you want to design the environment in which you're doing it so, so that they have good seats to sit on, so they're not going to get uncomfortable, that it's not too hot and they start falling asleep. All of those are wrapped up into that overall experience. But the workshop is an experience for which you should charge admission. So if you've given it away for free, one of the hardest things is to, is to sort of move that model into into one that was free because you're doing it for uh, you know for business development or whatnot right uh, into one that you are charging for if, if customers are used to getting in for free uh, and the way to do that or even if you're just starting out and can't imagine you charging for it the way to do that is to assign it a value even if you don't charge for it in other words say that this workshop is worth fifty dollars or a hundred dollars or five hundred or a thousand or whatever it is at the level that you're doing um, and then you can find an excuse to, to give it away. You know, like, well, if you're a past client, you, you know, I'll let you in for free. Um, or if we're, you know, we're talking about this project, hey, come in, you'll learn about it, and I'll, I'll, I'll cover your fee. And it's better than saying a discount or free, say, I'll cover your fee, because it sets a signal that the admission fee does that this is a place worth experiencing. This is a time worth experiencing, that this workshop is worth your time. And if you don't charge for it, often, Customers may say they come, but then they don't show up because, well, it's free. You know, they don't, they don't have, any, have any skin in the game. Yeah, there's no commitment uh, there. Right. And so eventually you can then start to move that from saying it's a value, but giving it away to eventually start charging for that value. And maybe as you get good at it, as you, as you prove that it works, even charging more for it. Yeah. So let me bring in an example from the development world that happens a lot. Not all the time, but a lot, especially with folks who've been at it for five, 10 years, and they've got uh, customers who are very happy. Uh, there's a thing that a lot of people give away who are, you know, people who fall into that category. They a lot of times give away advice. Mm-hmm. These, there's two ways that they look at it, where one is uh, nobody, will ch- nobody will pay for a diagnostic. Uh, nobody will pay for me to basically go in and and figure out the scope of this project that feels like it's a cost of doing business that should be you know something that i do in advance of creating a proposal and that's just not true right not everyone will pay for that but a lot of people will more more than you could ever service so you could you could charge people for the thing that you normally do for free or like joe's saying you could put a value on it and say i'll cover that because this seems like a this seems like a massive project i really you guys are an ideal customer for me i'm going to cover the strategy uh workshop fee uh for you normally it's fifteen thousand dollars but we're just going to include it and you know i I think we're going to make great partners long term so don't worry about it and you know, you've got whatever it is, you uh, do some deep discovery, you probably have to interview a bunch of employees. It's the, all this stuff that a lot of people do before they even write a proposal. Yep. And they get overly invested in landing the the job because they've already put 15, 20 hours into the proposal. And then they get, then they don't get the work because it's sending a signal that these people have lots of time on their hand. It's, it, does, it sends all the wrong signals. Right, exactly. You're working for free at a very high level, and you know, just meet, well, you must not be that great. That stuff you can actually charge for, and uh, that's one thing. The other thing is if you are in these long-term relationships with clients, I tell people to, to think back and try and remember any situations where the client, especially someone farther up 
the food chain at the client said to them, hey, this doesn't really have to do with our project that we're working on right now, but I'd love to bring you into this meeting with the CEO about security on the website. You know, you're, you're doing something else for us, but I'm curious about network security. You mentioned you know something about that. Could we just get you to jump into this meeting? And think back to any, any times when you were asked for your advice, because that could be a sign that it probably is a sign that it's something that you project expertise in and something obviously that is valued by the client or by some clients. And you could perhaps package that into an advisory relationship of some sort. So, you know, I just said network security, so it could be something like that. And you could sell that as an individual thing, you know, which is a very, I mean, how would you classify this, Joe? It's a very low activity undertaking. It's you're basically, someone asks, comes to you and says, Hey, could you answer this question? And you answer it. Right. It doesn't feel like an activity. It's not like a labor style activity. It's more like an expertise level thing. Yes, yes. And and it is something that you could charge for, at least in the context of a greater relationship. You know, one thing, you know, in addition to charging admission, another way of doing it is charging a membership fee. Yes. And you can think about that as well, is that you create a membership fee and maybe you, in fact, get your, what many companies do is they get all their clients together at one time as part of that member. A, a part of being a member, mm-hmm. a membership has its privileges. And you can say right. one of the privileges of it, you get to call me up and or send me an email anytime you want. I may not always be available right away because I might be with another client. When I'm with a client, I'm with the client, right? Sending the signal that when I'm with you, I'm with you. Right. But I will respond as soon as I can. And you get that as part of it rather than you know, giving it away for giving it away for free. Yeah. Great example. My, that's the kind of, that's, I have a, what's called a concierge doctor that yep. might, I think it might be a pejorative term, but it's, it's, uh, but that's what it is. No, it's, it's well, there's people who don't like the whole idea of it. think it's pejorative, but most people apply. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, it, and he's got a membership and right. it's, it allows him to have fewer members. And, and what that means is the experience is unbelievable. I, I'm, I'll be like looking at my watch, like we're two hours in here. I got to go, you know, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many people have that kind of experience in the U S with their doctor? Not very many. So that's a great idea. I've never kind of put two and two together there, but creating a membership community for your clients is absolutely, I mean, it's almost like a mini Gartner in a way where you're like, you know, in my world where it'd be like, oh, you know, we're a cutting edge React Native firm. And, you know, if you want to be, if you are all in on that platform, then... You know, maybe I cover your cost for the first year or your fee or your investment. Exactly. Or your first project or your project gets you it for three months or a year or whatever. Exactly. You yeah. Know, you can add it to a proposal. You gotta re-up. Yep. And then they come in and people can compare notes with each other and they have this access to you, which is not something they would normally have. Yeah. That's, this is a great idea. That's a really good idea. obviously it's also pre-sales for the next project. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's key. And that's why it's also worth then saying, well, maybe I have a newsletter or maybe I send them a book at once a quarter or something that, hey, I think this is important. I think you gain value out of it or keep keep an eye out for particular articles of, of interest or something. But but keep that keep that relationship going in the context of a of a membership program. Right. And what most developers think of when they when they want to have that outcome you know like that a way to keep the relationship alive in between big projects or development projects they all tend to go towards support relationships which i despise because that's like the architect changing toilet paper in the bathrooms after the building's built it's like you don't want to present yourself in that way you want to present yourself as an expert at all times so you know talk about being on stage you don't want to be mopping up you know 
liquids on the ground. So you know, your your story reminded me too, Jonathan. I'm actually uh, my wife and I are actually uh, buying a new house. You know, to get on a lake and that, and we're working with these builders. And we'd looked at a previous house um, that, in the end, didn't quite work. But the builders did this huge design for free, basically. Mm-hmm. They they you know used their onion paper and they drew over the drawings to show. And I mean, it's not a detailed design. You're not going to be able to 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 build it from that, but it's enough for us to see. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed, like that they didn't charge for that. I would have paid them for that design. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then particularly when he did it, when he had to redo it because of various different things that we figured out wouldn't work, and then he goes and does it again. It's like, and and they're and and we get together at the at the coffee shop, and they're buying the coffee. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and I, and I, all in my head, I'm thinking about my own stuff, saying I absolutely would have paid for this. You know, maybe five hundred, maybe a thousand dollars. You know, but I absolutely would have paid for this to help me make the decision. Mm-hmm of whether to, to buy this house. And they just gave it away for free, not recognizing that, that there's a ton of value there. When you're providing value to your customers, you should be charging for it. Yeah. And and I know the objection is like, well, my customers won't pay for that stuff. And, and my answer to that is, well, either you've trained them that they get that stuff for free right. or they're not the right customers in the first place. Right. And so the solution in both cases is get better customers. But don't <laughs> don't think for a second that you cannot charge for that stuff right. because people I was say, can. there's one more or in there. There's a third oh, possibility. Okay. like, you've never asked for it. There's that. You don't know if they pay for it or not until you ask. <laughs> True. Yes, you're right. Um, okay. So, so how does someone you're working, so someone, someone comes to you and maybe they're, they're probably not a software developer, but they come to you and they say, Hey, we want to, uh, we, f- we feel like we're in this sort of commoditized service space, not a commodity, but we, we feel undifferentiated and we want to yeah. commoditized, commoditized. Yes. And we want to create experiences cause we, we, we get it. We get what you're saying. Uh, how, or do you, do you counsel them at all on how they should price it? Or do you just help them design it and kind of like, how does that happen? Well, so that's an interesting thing. And, in 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 most cases, I consider myself not an expertise on the particular industry enough to know how to know how much they should be charging. But and and but one of the things we've done in the new books, actually, we've int- introduced a new concept that we call the the money value of time. Huh. And this is in the 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 new uh, re-release of the Experience Economy, uh, and that's part of the time you know, part of it that can be for customer time, attention, and money. Well, how much money should you charge for their time? Right. Right. Everybody's familiar with the, the time value of money, but this is the money value of time. In other words, how much per minute or per hour are you charging for your customer's time? And we did, you know, some some quick and dirty analysis and figured out that, you know, when prices vary a lot, you know, going to a movie is around 10 cents per minute. <laughs> okay. And that, you know, that's you're, you're paying every time, you know, you're sitting there watching that movie, every minute the clock's by, you're throwing another dime on the floor, right? <laughs> And but you go to a Disney theme park, for example, and it goes up to twenty percent a minute as a, as an order of magnitude. You know, the Disneyland's a little less, and Disney World's a little more. Mm-hmm. And so, where are you? You think about the, the you know the time that you spend in a Starbucks, the premium for the coffee you're spending. You're spending like five to ten cents per minute. Mm-hmm. You know, for that time. Uh, so so you sort of begin to compare yourself to what other industries are doing. And the time that they're that they're spending is a, is a good way to think about what's the money value of your customer's time. I mean, you may have your 
amount that you charge per hour or per day for your uh, normal service activities, but how much should your customers be paying per hour, per minute, per day for the time that they're spending with you for the value that you're getting? And that's one way to look at it. You could look at, though, in your own industry, like you mentioned workshops before, where there are, you know, look at other workshops. How much are they charging? For the, for the two hours, the half day, the full day, of multiple days that they're doing. How much does that work out per hour, right? Are you better or worse than them are, 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 or lesser than them, I should say? Are your, are your clients going to get more value than they would get at going to that one or less value? And then begin to look at how you might charge in that way by comparing to other things that they're used to. Mm, okay. So, yes, I totally I totally get that. And it's, it's funny because one of the things that uh, comes up a lot when I'm working with, you know, one of the big things I do with people who have expertise in the software space and others, but mainly software, is how can we package up your expertise in a way that's disconnected from time? Your your time. Your, right, the, the, your time. Expert, expert's time. Right, the expert's time. And turn it from, essentially turn it into an experience. It's not usually how I word it, but that's basically what it is, where you're creating this packaged experience and... Uh, and it's charged based on the value that the client is receiving. And the, the value could be something super bottom line, like, you know, I'll, intri- I'll increase your conversion rate on your website and you'll double your income. It could be super transactional like that, uh, or, or I should say, you know, pretty tangible. tangible. Or it could be something like, you know, like a Broadway show, not for a software developer, but Broadway show, like what's the outcome? Like you don't have a bottom line outcome or a Starbucks, like sitting in a Starbucks, there's no particular outcome. I mean, there there is, but it's not. But it's very intangible. It's like I just the the five bucks I spent on that latte was worth the last half hour that I just spent. So, with right. with clients, as when I'm working with a software developer, and, and they're packaging up their expertise in ways that are easy for people to get their heads around. So, like um, like everybody knows what a book is. Everybody knows what a workshop is. Everybody knows what a seminar is. Uh, those sorts of things they bring with them price expectations, whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Clients are have bought workshops before and they know they're kind of in this price range and and it's really hard to kind of battle your way. You know, if, if you're going to price yourself way outside of the range of what they're used to paying for a workshop, it can be an uphill batter, battle um, if, you, if you're charging t- like way more than they're used to. If you charge way less than they're used to, that's sending a signal that it's not that good of a workshop. Exactly. And if you're right in the middle, you're going to find, you know, or sort of like in the sweet spot, you're probably going to find that it's really easy to sell because people are just like, yeah, I figured it cost about 1500 bucks or whatever. And, you, you know, so you can, uh, in places where there's an expectation for how much, um, uh, this thing is, this package is a very familiar package. It's a workshop or it's a book. I'm expecting to spend, you know, t- maybe 20 bucks max for a book. So if you're going to step outside of those zones, uh, you either have a problem on the low end where it seems low quality or on the high end where you're fighting an uphill battle. And I think the solution to either one of those things would be, you know, if you wanted to deliver an experience or or maybe a transformation, which I would like to get to, um, if you're going to deliver that, deliver, you know, package it in a way that people don't have a ready understanding or expectation around what the price is. So, you know, the, a, a an area where there's a huge price variance right now is like video courses. Like the prices are all over the map for video courses. You can get a video course for anywhere from free or 37 bucks all the way up to like thousands of dollars for a video course. So if you, so for the listener, if you're 
trying to come up with ways to package your expertise, either as an experience or, um, you know, perhaps a transformation, then if you're picking, if you want to make your job really easy, pick something that everybody knows what it is and then price yourself kind of in the ballpark. And that's kind of a, you know, it's, it's like a one-on-one, just do that and it'll be fine. If you really want to push the envelope, package it up in a way where people are like, huh, I, you know, I, I don't have an expectation around that. Like I understand what that thing is, but I don't have an expectation around it. Okay, so enough. I'm talking too much. That <laughs> no, <laughs> so but but you're you're talking exactly right. Right, it's exactly the right way to think about it, the way to go about it. And and you did mention uh, early on that you know that term outcomes, which mm-hmm. I think is a key one. And so it is a good opportunity to talk about the the next level of value beyond experiences. Yes, please. Which I think is particularly important for your audience, particularly for um, um, people that are selling basically to other businesses rather than to consumers, although yes. of course it's big in the consumers. And that's to recognize that, that beyond experiences is one more economic offering, uh, what we might often call a life transforming experience. In other words, an experience or a set of experiences that change us in some way mm-hmm. that help us achieve our aspirations in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, fitness centers are about transformations. People don't go to a fitness center um, to endure all that work, sweat, and pain. That the, the, they want to gain from it. They want to become more fit, or they may have a very specific aspiration of of I want to lose twenty pounds, or I want to gain washboard abs, or I want to fit in that swimsuit from last year. You know, whatever the the, the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, healthcare is about transformations, and um, you know, higher education is about transformations. Management consulting is about transformations. When it, because what people are hiring you for is they want a different business as a result of their work for you. And that's why I always say with, with B2B companies, when you're selling to another business, recognize that none of your clients ever actually want your offering. It's a means to an end. What they're really looking for is how that offering helps improve their business. And if you sell them the end rather than the means, then you'll gain much more economic value for that. And the, the way to do that is, is exactly what you said. It's to charge for outcomes. So with services, again, you're charging for activities you perform, the time and materials. For experiences, you're charging for the time your customers spend with you, but in the the spirit of you are what you charge for, when you're in the transformation business, when you truly care about the outcomes your customer wants, then that's what you charge for, right? You charge for that demonstrated outcome because in the end, inputs don't matter. What you're charging for, the activities, they don't matter a whit (laughs) unless the client gets the outcomes that they desire. So why not charge directly for those? You'll do a better job. You know you're on the hook for it. They'll get more out of it. Yeah, 100%. But so do you remember that? I don't know if you remember the story you told about your golf pro. Yeah, yeah. If you could, I know it's on the other show, but it is so 100% <laughs> on the money that it's exactly this. Yeah, the, the, and, and, and you think about it as a golf pro is a coach, right? And, and, and coaches of any kind are in the transformation business. And this was, a, this was a, a number of years ago when I actually lived in Connecticut. And I was taking lessons from this golf pro at the local uh, uh, municipal golf course. And he, um, you know, one of these lessons, he asked me what I did for a living. And it was like right before the experience economy was coming out, actually. And, and I started to talk to him about it. And then, and then I talked about transformations. And it just sort of hit me in the head that in, in my mind that he was charging me for the experience, right? He was charging me 15 or $30 an hour per lesson or whatever it was. And, and that's what I was getting was the experience. And what I really wanted was a transformation. I wanted to become a better golfer. And, and so I, you know, off the top of my head say, you know, after I talked about transformation, I say, well, for example, like, 
let's say this. Let's say that you know, my aspiration, my goal is to become a single-digit handicapped golfer, right? That's my goal. And and I'm paying you whether I make any progress to that goal or not. You know, in <laughs> fact, if I don't make that much progress, maybe you think you're getting more money over the time because I got to come back for more lessons. But so here's what we do. Say I, I, I give you half the amount of your lesson, right? So it isn't necessarily you have to charge all the fees. You can like cover your costs uh, with the, you know, pr- the, at the service or at the experience level. Okay. But then I said, said, if I get to single digit handicap, I'll give you $5,000. And again, this was 20 years ago and it's a number I pulled out of my head, but I just, you know, said about $5,000. Yeah, you know, and he, and, he, and he he sort of folds his arm and leans back, you know, and he's looking at me. And you know, his first <laughs> thought is, "Is this guy in front of me capable of getting down a single digit handicap golfer?" Yeah, and uh, uh, which uh, and once he decided, okay, I think he could do it. Then he says, "Well, then this is what we have to do. I need you to come and practice three times a week, and I'll give you a regiment of exactly what I want you to practice and how we'll go about it. Then we're going to go out in the course together, and I got to teach you course management, and see how you do on the actual course versus on the driving range and so forth. And these were things he never mentioned when his income was independent of my outcome. But once his income, how he makes money, is dependent on my outcome and how well I do and how much better a golfer I become." then immediately his mind changes. He starts thinking about the other things he's going to have to do in order to make that money off of it. That is the key point right there, which is that if you do reorient your business around delivering results that the clients care about, it will change what you do. Like that is the insidious thing about billing for your time is that, you know, if that's the arrangement and that's, and it's the expectation on both sides. So it's fair. I mean, you're not, you're not, doing anything wrong. You're not being unethical or immoral. Like everyone agreed, you're going to pay me 200 bucks an hour to do whatever. And I do it for these hours. And at the end you pay me and maybe you get what you thought you'd get out of it. Maybe you don't, but that's really on you. You took all the risk, dear client and me as the provider, I did what I said I would do. And you mean you paid me for the time that I spent. Okay, great. But if instead you focused on transforming their business in in a way that they desire, you can, you will probably, you will almost, I'm willing to say definitely change what you do and you'll get pickier with your clients because there are certain ones who will come in with expectations that you don't believe you can meet whose money you would have taken in the other model, but you, but you won't take in this model because you're on the hook for it. So you'll, and you know, if, if, you know, it'd be like if your, your pro looked at you and was like it to himself, it's like, this guy's never going to get to single. No way. (laughs) He would, he would have said no. And, and as a software developer or a copywriter or a photographer or anybody else like that, an illustrator, what are they trying to do? What are they trying, you know, it's a B2B situation in hundred percent of the cases. What are they trying to do? They're in a current state. They want to get to a desired future state. And they, for some reason, they believe that you're a component of that. And a lot of people will just be like, Hey, we need, you know, client comes to a logo designer says, Hey, we need a new logo. We heard you're good. What's your hourly rate? Oh, hundred dollars an hour. Uh, great. Let's get started. Never even have a conversation about why they're doing it. Why not not do it? Um, is it urgent? Is this something that needs to be done now? Is this, why would you pick someone like me when you could just go to Fiverr? There's so many other options. Why would you bother going through this process? If you find that information out and find out what the equivalent of the single digit handicap is, and I guarantee you it's there. If you're talking to the right person, it's there. Otherwise they wouldn't be talking, you know, they wouldn't be interested in hiring a professional. So if you can figure out what it is, that's the thing you can price. Just like in Joe's story was like, I, I, that'd be worth $5,000 to me. Right. 
And you can price that and then get really clever and use your expertise to achieve that outcome in ways that you probably never would have even considered before. And not only is this a massive differentiator between, you know, you and the crab bucket of freelancers out there who are all just doing the same thing. And, you know, it's just like, uh, everybody's essentially undifferentiated. It's a big slurry. You'll just completely stand out and you'll get pickier about what clients you work with, which means you'll have better clients who you make more profits for and from, and therefore create this virtuous cycle of getting better and better clients who you deliver more and more results for in less and less time. And that ends my soapbox for the day. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just can't believe how the thing that is eternally shocking to me is, is coming across a great thinker like yourself, who's come up from sort of a different, come up with a different kind of um, premise. You know, it's like, it's almost like your path into this idea. I feel like we both are kind of coming to the po- same point, yeah, from but different. from different paths up the mountain. Yeah, well, I think, I think it is exactly right. It, it is two paths to get in there. Uh, you know, mine is looking at uh, what's going on in the world of business, and yours is particularly focused on the, the clientele that you have for this, this podcast. But you do get to the same conclusion, no matter how you look at it. What 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 our customers really want are the outcomes that they're looking for, and if you can align yourself with that, right? That's what charging for it does. It allows you to align what your customers value with what you charge for. Yep, absolutely. Well, I know uh, we're getting close to time here. So, um, what I would love is if you could share with folks where they could find out more about, uh, you know, the Joe Pine universe and specifically around the the new 20th edition of the experience economy. All right. Well, obviously you can get the book, the experience economy uh, on Amazon, as you said before, earlier, anywhere books are sold. Uh, then we have our own website, which is strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons.com, where you can learn all about me and my partner, Jim Gilmore, uh, the books or ideas or events or offerings and so forth. Um, I will mention also that if you really want to get into it, we have a public experience economy expert certification course that includes a half day on transformations uh, that we do every August in the Minneapolis area. And then we often do uh, private ones for particular uh, businesses. I did a private one in Florida for a hospital system a couple of weeks ago, for example. But then also related to our initial conversation about uh, how work is theater and that we actually... Uh, did ourselves have come out with a video training offering uh, just earlier this summer, uh, specifically on training people to act on stage. And that's what we call it is on stage. Uh, and so that URL, I'm virtually certain, is onstagetraining.com. And there you'll be able to um, uh, see how you can, you know, you can look at these videos of Jim and I talking about these principles, taking principles from the experience economy and bringing them down to any individual person, whether you know, you know, whether frontline or, or however they are, you know, whether they have a degree or whatnot, but if they're interacting with customers, then they are indeed on stage and need to act in a way, again, that, uh, that engages the audience. That's awesome. Great stuff. I love it. Uh, folks, you should definitely check it out. And um, I'm just, I just am blown away. So Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was solid gold the whole way through. Thanks, Jonathan. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and this is Ditching Hourly. Hope to hear, uh, hope to hear you next time. <laughs> <laughs> hope to be in your ears next time. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. The next time someone asks for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing, 
and go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.